0: Chapter Nine, Second Family. On the afternoon my father was deported, I didn't get to visit him. Immigration officials hadn't told us exactly when they sent him off, and since they'd deported him in the middle of a workday, Amelia couldn't take me to the detention center. I was relieved to miss the final meeting. Seeing my parents with their spirits broken, their heads dropped, had brought mo- almost more sorrow than my heart could hold. Following any loss, there comes a moment when you shift from mourning to If you continue to linger in the grief, you can't function. So a little at a time, you create a so-called new normal, although there's nothing normal about it. With a gaping hole in your life, you move on, and it's impossible to do that if you keep peeking over your shoulder. I needed to look ahead. Amelia was so wonderful to me. She, Gabriella, and Gabriella's two older siblings, Clarissa and Julian, who were in their 20s, made me feel part of the family. They were beyond hospitable. And yet I knew I was a guest. Mikasa, casa es su casa, any polite Latino host would tell you. But everyone understands the truth. Remaining welcome means abiding by the rules. I found it hard to relax. I had this nagging fear that I might do something to get myself thrown out. Amelia didn't hint at such a thing. But I, aware of the major sacrifice she had to make by having me there, became vigilant about respecting boundaries. Perfect example. I minimized the space I took up. I stuffed my few belongings into a couple of bottom drawers and one area of the closet. I stirred my toiletries inside a travel bag rather than on the sink top or in the shower. With five people in the house, things were already cramped. I didn't want to make Amelia or her children regret her choice to take me in. I also recognized how much responsibility she had as a single parent and as a hard working nurse's assistant. I did all I could to lighten her load. I had been around Amelia's home so much that I caught on to the way she ran things. Without having her ask, I helped with the chores. Each time I used a plate, I washed it, dried it, and put it in the cabinet. While I was with my parents, I had been going through a note-meat phase. I got over that real fast. A permanent border can't be picky. I mean, I'm still pretty picky, but maybe less so because of my experience, which, in retrospect, is probably a good thing. My parents had babied me when it came to food. Between meals, Gabriella would sometimes grab a snack from the fridge. I got Amelia's permission before I ate anything. You know Gabriella would tease me. You don't have to ask my mom every time. But I was reluctant to be so free. She was the daughter. I was the company. She could get away with things I wouldn't try. I was so mindful of not rocking the boat that you can imagine how upset I was if somehow I did. Several weeks into my stay, Gabriella pulled me aside. Um, can I talk to you for a second? she asked sure i said my tote my throat tightened i know you don't mean for this to happen she continued but my sister's been finding a lot of your hair in the bathroom i wrinkled my forehead my hair i said yep she answered it sheds before you leave the bathroom can you please clean it up uh okay i said the tears welling up i'm so sorry gabriella i promise i'll do that from then on, I was OCD about my hair, which was immediately identifiable as mine, since I was the only one with straight, long, black mane. After untangling my tresses, I thoroughly wiped down the sink and picked up every single strand. At Amelia's place, cash was tight. Poppy sent money as promised. He'd gotten a friend to sell his and Mommy's cars. That cash, coupled with his lotto windfall, had to be split between providing for me and settling into his new life. I love, if Amelia gave me a few dollars, I held on to it. I could make 50 bucks last for weeks. I loved being able to buy small things for myself. If I wanted a bottle of juice or something from a drugstore, I could pay for it without having to involve Amelia. I was smart and careful about my purchases, which pretty much limited me to buying tampons and dollar pizza. I couldn't wait to turn 16 so I could get a job. Financial independence, that's what I wanted to create. With many girls my age, were, while many girls my age were poring over fashion magazines or giggling about crushes, I was figuring out how I could make it on my own. My parents' deportation had thrust me headfirst into the world of adult worries. Mommy and Poppy vanished from my life at a critical juncture as I was navigating the tricky passage between early and middle adolescence. My relationship with my parents had been changing. One minute I wanted to be with them, the next I was pushing them aside to hang with my pals. But once I would no longer had access to them, I longed for the simplest experiences with them, like watching a silly movie with my poppy, or having mommy bring me a cup of tea, hot tea when I had cramps. In my mother's absence, I learned to pop an Advil and keep moving. And although Amelia tried to fill it in, it wasn't quite the same. I missed my parents most on one night in particular, Springfest. I would nearly decided to pull out of the duet. I was so shaken up by my parents' arrest that I didn't know if I could get myself together. Then again, I didn't want to disappoint Mr. Stewart or Damien, and I owed it to myself to go out there and do it. We'd worked hard. It would have been a shame to let our song go unsung. The night of the concert rolled around. Amelia and Gabriella came to support me. So did Sabrina and her mom, Eva. Dude, you're going to be fantastic, Gabriela told me before I went backstage. We'll be cheering you on. The show was filled with various performances, from opera, jazz, and contemporary to string ensemble and choral pieces. Everyone had a part in this thing. It was the one time of the year we could show our parents what we've been working on, working so hard at. Stuart gave Damien and me our cue, and we strode to our microphones. I peered out across the audience. It was packed with parents, teachers administrators, people from the community. Even as I was about to perform, I was pinching myself that I had been chosen. Damon delivered his opening lines beautifully. Then came my turn. I closed my eyes. In a world that's moving too fast, I sang softly. In a world where nothing can last, I will hold you. I will hold you. I was so nervous that my voice shook, and the words I'd practiced over and over now suddenly seemed new, different. So stay with me and hold me tight, we sang in unison, and dance with me like it's the last night of the world. At the close of our piece, the room erupted in applause. Dave and I linked arms and bowed. I peered out again over the scores of faces, praying that by some miracle I'd spot Mommy and Poppy. Amid the bright lights and magic of the stage, the impossible seemed possible, even for the briefest of moments. Yet off the stage, and with the curtains lowered and the auditorium empty, the cold truth remained. My parents, who had for weeks had awaited their fate in a pair of New Hampshire jail cells, had already been sent to their homeland a world away. I'd never been to Columbia, yet in a way, I felt like I'd gone a dozen times. That's because my parents kept Eric and me connected to their homeland. They played their music, prepared the foods, told us stories from their childhoods. We also talked frequently to our aunts, many aunts, uncles, and cousins there. And over the years, a few visited us. But in our culture, it doesn't matter if you've never met family. They are blood, and therefore you are connected by something greater. I didn't have to see my relatives to know they cared for me. Their their love came through over the phone, and in the birthday cards and letters they always mailed us. Even still, since I hadn't actually set foot in the country, it remained kind of a mystery to me. That changed in July 2001. About three months after he had returned to Palmyra, Poppy had arranged for me to spend a month with him there. In the days leading up to my departure, I was eager, and yes, a bit apprehensive. How would it feel to see my parents again? What would their living conditions be? And was it safe there? As soon as my relatives heard I was coming, they began putting in requests for me to bring items that are hard to get or doubly expensive in Palmyra, such as Victoria's Secret Lotion and Snickers candy bars. Keep a close eye on your bags, Poppy warned. People steal. As if my blood pressure wasn't already high enough, Poppy hit me with some tough news a week before takeoff. Your mother and I have decided to separate, he told me. I pressed the phone close to my ear. My heartbeat sped up. What are you talking about, Poppy? We're no longer speaking to each other, he said. When you come here, you can spend time with each of us, but don't expect us to do things together. I nearly dropped the phone. All the bickering, the blaming each other for their circumstances had threatened my parents' connection for years. Deportation had definitely and apparently been the final blow. One in Col- Once in Colombia, they went their separate ways. Mommy in with her brother. Poppy stayed with his the sister. They lived minutes away from each other, but emotionally they were worlds apart. This trip was beginning to sound like one I'd rather not take. I set off for Palmyra on the eve of my 15th birthday. Be careful, Amelia told me as she dropped me off at Logan, and call me once you're there. The flight from Boston to Cali's Alfonso Bonilla, Aragon, the closest international airport to my parents' region, is very long, especially if you're thrown in a layover in Miami, and especially if you're uncertain what you'll face upon landing. Mommy and Poppy had told me they'd meet me in the airport lounge. What they failed to mention is that they'd bring a com- is that they'd bring company. Oh, my Lord. When I entered the lounge, a band began playing a loud song. Oh, no. Please don't let that be for me, I thought. Please don't let that be for me. Yes, my mother had hired a full band to celebrate my arrival. Balloons, flowers, and a sign that read, Welcome to Columbia, Diane, filled the waiting area. Several members of my extended family, as well as a bunch of neighbors my mom rounded up, cheered and called out my name and snapped random photos of me. I was so stunned that I couldn't speak. I met eyes with mommy and poppy, both of whom were waving madly at me. My look of astonishment probably spoke volumes. I wanted to scream, what the heck is all this? Instead, I put on a half smile. After all, it's not every day that you get serenaded. The whole thing was pretty funny. Well, sort of. You're here, mommy shrieked. She rushed toward me with a hug. Poppy stood aside as we embraced, and then he leaned in and kissed me on the forehead. Hello, Chibola, he said. I'm glad you made it. Meanwhile, the band played on. People I didn't know pushed ba- bouquets into my hands. Finally, we all made our way out the sliding doors into the sauna. The humidity immediately turned my straight hair into a puffy Colombian fro. First stop, a party at on my aunt's place. Among a caravan of cars, my uncle drove mommy and me there. As you know by now, my mother can be chatty, but on this day, she was completely wound up. She hurled question after question at me. How's Amelia, she asked. Before I could answer, she, went on, was, she was on the next topic. Did you bring the lotion and all the other gifts for the family? And how did Springfest turn out? I sat dazed and silent. I couldn't believe I was in Colombia. I always thought I'd come for the first time with my folks, once they had been granted citizenship. Once nuestra situación had been less at last settled. Everything had happened so quickly. One night I was cheering with Poppy over his lucky win. The next night, my parents were wearing orange. And now I was standing in the nation they'd wanted to escape. A serious whirlwind. I stared from my window. In downtown Cali, locals on bikes weaved in and out of traffic. A lot of motorcycles and old cars. Models I hadn't seen in America honked and switched lanes without signaling. Teen girls strutted in by booty-hugging dresses. Some girls wore tiny midriff-bearing stretch tops and jeans that barely covered their butt cracks. Music rang out from all directions. Then on the road onto Pamira, throngs of barefoot children begged. When we stopped at an intersection, some of the kids wandered right up to our car and pleaded for money or food. Many were juggling limes, trying to earn cash from passerby. "'Mommy, why are there so many children on the streets?' I asked. My mother sighed. "'Diane, they're homeless.' she told me. Where are their parents, I asked. I don't know, she told me. My eyes filled with tears. I couldn't imagine what it would be like for a five or seven-year-old to be left on their own. The entire scene was chaotic, colorful, exotic, wild, and because of the straight-up poverty, it also was a bit unsettling. In the States, I hadn't witnessed that kind of hardship. I was struck with the realization. This could have been my life. OMG, would I have been struggling Little Limes too? "'WTF, this is not okay. What is going on? Save the children.' We pulled up to the house. My aunt and a slew of excited relatives filed out from the front door to greet us. Among the faces, I saw Eric. I lit up. I hadn't expected to see my brother because I heard he was away in Santa Marta, a city in northern Colombia. He'd come home early. "'How are you, sis?' he said, picking me up and twirling me. "'You're so big now.' "'I'm good,' I said shyly.' probably because I hadn't seen him in so long. He looked different, better. His face was clean-shaven, his complexion bright. During his first month in Columbia, he struggled to find his way. He floated one family member's house home to the next, but he eventually found work as an English teacher. On the day of our reunion, he seemed happy. After a bash that went on for hours, Mommy and I left for her place. I'd stay with her first, both of my parents' homes were in working-class areas. Many of the residents had only cold water. You had to be wealthy to afford hot. Rows of cookie-cutter homes, most made from adobe, adobe, um, were as basic as basic can get. No bells, no whistles, no fancy interiors. Come on in, Mommy said as you walked through the door of my grandfather's house. Make yourself comfortable. I rolled in my suitcase, set it aside, and began glancing around. I followed my mother into a rear bedroom. There, she shared a tiny space with my young cousin. He slept on the top bunk, she on the bottom. At the foot of mommy's bed, her suitcase lay open. Because she had no dresser, she left from her bag, the one I'd hurriedly packed from her. She reached down, pulled out a coat from her luggage, and chuckled. So why'd you put this in here? She smirked. In this climate, I certainly didn't need a coat. I rolled my eyes. She went on to mention that I'd accidentally given her mismatched shoes. I knew my mother was half-joking, but her complaining annoyed me. How the heck was I supposed to know what to pack? Didn't she understand the stress I'd been under just by trying to keep our neighbors from looting? I did my best, I muttered. At least you got it bad. That exchange set the tone for our visit. Day after day, Mommy talked constantly about how sad she was, how excruciating her split from my father had been. Through the eyes of adulthood, I now understand that my mom was still reeling from all she'd been through. And if I found her new lifestyle difficult to accept, she must have found it incomprehensible. She was also recovering from the heartache of separation, because, make no mistake, she was going through one. She and Poppy hadn't married, but their breakup was just as devastating as any legal separation. At the airport and party, the two had, a, had been cordial for my sake, but all they wanted was to steer clear of each other. I felt sorry for my mother, yet at the same time, I blamed her for our predic- predicament. By reopening the case in New Jersey, she made herself susceptible to deportation. On the other hand, I didn't fault her for trying to shake things up. She was desperate to move forward in her life, to finally call this country her legal home. Even still, I blamed her for the haphazard way in which she handled the situation. She never tried to get confirmation about whether her application had indeed been handed over to the feds. Instead, she got scared and just let everything fall apart. And because she didn't resolve it, because she didn't see the process through to the end, she'd left our future up to chance. She'd also left us susceptible to people who wanted to do us harm. I dealt with my resentment by leaving the house. I went out a lot, mostly with my other family. I clicked with three of my cousins, Raul, Fernando, and Liz. All were within a couple years of my age. Want to go out tonight, Fernando would swing by and ask? Sure, I'd say, glancing at Mommy's face to measure her degree of disappointment. To her credit, she didn't hold me back. Even before she she left Boston, I'd start spending more time with my friends and less with her and Poppy. So this wasn't new. The difference was that, rather than hanging out with my friends in the neighborhood, I was slipping out into the unknown. With my cousins and my tour guides, I experienced a side of Colombia I absolutely loved. There, teens generally have a lot more freedom than they do in America, so we'd be out for hours at a time. We sampled all kinds of foods. We had the movies, the park, the mall. We danced all night at salsa clubs. It was a way to escape my reality. You name it, we did it, and I enjoyed it. Even with its many societal challenges, the country has this amazing energy, an irresistible vibrancy, this fervor that draws you in. When I was out with my favorite trio, I was shoveling between my relatives' houses, homes. From day one, people were all over me. I felt like a celebrity. Can Diane come over for lunch today? One of mommy's brothers would call and ask. An hour later, the phone would ring with an additional invitation. Everywhere I went, people wanted to feed me, talk to me, hug me, dance with me, or introduce me to their families and friends. I got all of this attention because others saw me as unique. I was this young American girl who was still toyed down to my Colombian roots. I was connected to the culture. I appreciated all the fuss, but it was, to, it was easy to OD on it. My last two weeks was spent with Poppy. His surroundings were as modest as Mommy's, but he was chill about it. If his new lot in life was bothering him, he didn't mention it. In fact, he was quiet overall, and maybe a little down. At dusk, when the humidity had dropped, he'd often take me out biking. One evening, as we returned, I struck up a conversation. Papi, I asked. Yes, Diane, he said. What is it? Do you think someone turned you and Mommy in? He paused. What do you mean? He asked. One of the guards at the detention told mommy that someone probably snitched on you guys. I don't know, Diane, he said. He looked away from me. And at this point, he went on, I guess it doesn't matter. We're here now. There's not much I can do about it. I shrugged, wheeled my bike into the garage and left the mystery at that. On the Sunday of my last week, Poppy surprised me. I want to take you someplace special for your birthday, he said. Just the two of us. In Latin cultures, turning 15 is a big deal for a girl. It marks the beginning of womanhood. Years before, I told my parents I had no desire for quinceanera, the traditional ceremony complete with white gloves and ball gowns. Not my thing. But I did want some kind of party, and in fact, I already had three. One thrown by my mother, a second by my father's sister, and a third courtesy of my cousins. So when Poppy told me he topped that all off with a vacay, I was thrilled. Where are we going? I asked. I'm taking you to Cartagena," he told me. I raised my eyebrows. "Really, Poppy?" I squealed. "I heard that that this historic city on the Caribbean coast was one of Colombia's most gorgeous." "Yes, really," he said, laughing. "I used some of my savings to buy our tickets. We'll go this week." I wasn't just excited. Given the scarcity of cash, I was also grateful. Poppy's generosity made the journey so sweet as he strolled through the old streets of Old Town, savored ceviche at a quaint restaurant, and watched the red-golden sunset over the silver waters. The getaway was perfect. The magic ended as soon as I returned to Palmyra. When I mentioned the trip to Mommy, she teared up. Wow, she said, it would have been nice to be there with you. Hearing that we'd gone away without her brought up all the pain of her split with, from Poppy. The sadness in Mommy's eyes reminded me of how wacky our lives had been. Both of my parents went off, to, went to the airport to see me off. Why don't you come live here? Mommy said. I didn't respond. As much as I relished certain things of the trip, I knew there was no life for me here. Mommy knew it too. Poppy stood quiet. In fact, he'd never say, he never said one way or the other whether he wanted me to move there. He probably knew it was pointless to give his opinion, because I had clearly made up my mind. I heard my call to board. I kissed them each of a goodbye and set off for the one homeland I had ever truly known. More change awaited me in Boston. That July, Amelia had relocated from Roslindale to a 2 bedroom in Roxbury. Gabriella's brother had moved out, so although the new house was smaller, there was one less person sharing the space. Gabriella and I shared one room. Amelia and her oldest daughter were in the other. I began my sophomore year, no longer a newbie. I was still finding my way into the music department, and I loved it. I was into my classes, and I was excited about developing as a student and an artist. That fall semester also came with a bonus. Gabriella became my classmate. You'd like it here, I had repeatedly told her the year before. You should audition. She did, and a few weeks later, she received the same letter that once gave me a reason to keep going. The only thing better than it being Boston Arts was having a close friend there. After eighth grade, Dana moved to Florida with her family, and Sabrina went to a different high school. Still, my homies, though, don't get it twisted. It was great to have a familiar friend in high school, and even better to know that my other girls would be friends forever. Following that huge taste of freedom in Palmyra, I returned ready to spread my social wings. At a movie theater near campus, a bunch of my friends and I would hang out after school. We'd play around, snap photos of each other, the old school kind where you have to get developed at Walgreens and just to be ridiculous. That year, we were obsessed with John Leguizamo, the Colombian-American comedian. He released his HBO special, Sexaholics, and we'd memorize all of it. We got really annoying after a while, but we were so excited to see a Latino on TV. He was speaking our language and bringing up issues we cared about. Finally, someone we could relate to. We'd entertain ourselves by reciting every joke the guy had told. It was the best time. And then 9-11 hit. Along with the rest of the nation, I watched in horror as the hijacked planes hit the Twin Towers. American Airlines Flight 11 and United Airlines Flight 135 had originated in our backyard at Logan. Both planes were filled with Bostonians, adding to the death toll of those lost in New York and Pennsylvania. The day was terrifying. We all held our breath, uncertain whether more attacks were coming Amelia rushed home early from work to pick up Gabriella and me. The next two days, we stayed at home. Even once we returned to school, a funk lingered in the air. What was true in my own life became true for our nation. You can quickly get back on your feet right after a disaster, but real healing takes longer. The year progressed, and as it did, I became super focused on my studies. For the first time, I fully understood why my parents had put so much on the line to come to the United States, and I intended to make good on the opportunity. Not only did I buckle down in school, I became even more conscientious around Amelia's house. I was determined to keep my spot, my chance. One evening that December, I called Amelia on her cell. She and Gabriella had gone, um, had gone out to run errands. I was studying. May I please walk to the store down the street, I asked her. Why don't you wait until later? she said. We'll be there shortly. Gabriella can go with you. But I persisted. I wanted to buy some colored pencils for an art project. She gave in. Okay, but don't be gone for so long. I knew the rope well. Gabriella and I passed the store every day on our way to the tea. I pressed the crosswalk button. The go signal appeared, and so I looked both ways and began strolling across the street. When I was about halfway to the other side, a green Mazda swerved out in front of me, and boom, crashed into the right side of my body. The driver, a young white woman, hurried from the driver's side and over to me. I lay sprawled out on the pavement, moaning. "'Miss, miss,' the lady screamed. "'What the hell are you doing crossing the street like that?' She reached down and took my hand. With her help, I slowly stood. I, noticed, I looked down to notice my knees were bloody. My right arm throbbed as if it was about to fall off. "'Let me call 911,' she said, searching her pocket for her phone. I grabbed her arm. "'Please don't,' I screamed. "'I'm fine.' But miss, she said, you're hurt. Go go go, I begged, tears flooding my face. I'm okay. I just gotten the crap knocked out of me, and yet one thought reeled through my head. Do not cause any trouble. If the police showed up, they might realize my parents had been deported and throw me in foster care. Aside from that, I refused to hassle Amelia. In fact, I didn't know anyone I didn't want anyone to know I'd been hit. I planned to stay as far under the radar as my family had been. Rather than calling for help, I hobbled to the house, cleaned myself up, and came up with a story of how I'd hurt myself. Oh my god, what happened? Amelia said the second she opened the door and saw me limping. She put her groceries on the counter and rushed to my side of the sofa. Oh, it's nothing, I lied. I fell on the street. You did? She said. Why didn't you tell me? Are you okay? I'm fine, I assured her. It's not a big deal. But of course, Amelia insisted on taking me to the ER to get checked. Once there... Doctors discovered that I cracked my wrist. Hours later and a, week before, a few weeks before Christmas, I left the hospital with a cast I'd have to wear for six weeks. I spent the final days of 2001 recovering from a broken arm, regretting the deep, fract- regretting the deep fracture in my family. And hoping I'd wake to discover that the last four months had only been a bad dream.